Hello. Hi, how are you? All right. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, Such a cool background. I love it. Oh, yeah. It's all my, my teachers and mentors up there. Oh, that is so cool. So yeah. I'm Bernadette, and this is Kai from the firm Hello. Free Press. Yeah, yeah. good, good. So I'll give a little intro to our viewers. For the very first episode of our second season of interviews, we are thrilled to have Krishna Das with us. Um, Krishna Das was born in New York and throughout his young life became curious about spirituality. And in 1970, following a trip to India, met his guru and mentor, Neem Karoli Baba or Maharaji. Following this, he became inspired to start spreading the message of Maharaji in the West and he went on to even he went on to be Grammy nominated and still sings to this day. Oh. And so without further ado, welcome Krishna Das. Thank you. I wonder who that guy is who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> I'd like to start by asking, what is the art of Kirtan? And can you tell us a little bit more about its history? <clears throat> you know, I don't know much about its history, really. Uh, uh, what it is, is <clears throat> in India, they, they understand there's one God. But they also see that that God manifests in many, many, many forms. And ultimately in every form. But there are some forms that in some sense are uh, more pure and more uh, clearly reflective of that divinity. And those forms are called the deities like Rama, the, the avatars, Rama, Krishna, Kali, Shiva, all these beings. So they believe that by invoking those beings, by singing to them and repeating their name, that you can move more deeply into that inner reality, uh, into the love that lives within us as, as our own true nature. Uh, Maharaj used to say, you know, Ram has left this world, Krishna has left this world, but their names are still here. And the name is actually like the sound form of that being, Ram, Krishna, etc., etc. So through the repetition of these names, Maharaji always said that everything is accomplished by repeating these names over and over huh. as, a, as a spiritual practice. Everything... All your karmas are ripened. The things you want come to you. The things that you don't need leave you, etc. So it's a, it's a very powerful spiritual practice. Beautiful. You were born in New York. And so I'm curious, what was your first exposure to the world of Kirtan and Hinduism in general? Well, in general, you know, uh, when I was in high school, somebody gave me a book called The Gospel of Ramakrishna, hmm. which just blew my mind. I mean, because this guy was, he was always going into these ecstasies. He'd be talking to somebody and then, ah, you know, he'd be like, and so I wanted some of that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I, I started reading some books about Buddhism. And uh, I remember I, I was on the track team and I used to throw the discus on the track team. Mm -hmm. And I was such a hippie, such a, I used to carry my, my Buddhist books out there. And while other people were throwing the discus, I would sit and read these books. <sighs> but, but I remember one line from that just totally kind of changed my life. In the book, it said, 
The Buddha said that your, your enlightenment is up to you. Oh, I love that. Now, as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old, nothing is up to you. You know, you got to do what your parents say, what the teachers say, what the rules say, what the laws say. And here, all of a sudden, something was up to me. I'll take it, you know. And so I, I got more involved in all that. Then I met many Swamis who came to America and stuff, but then I met uh, Ramdas. And when I met Ramdas, he had just returned from his first trip to India, where he met this guy named Karoli Baba. And when I met Ramdas, uh, just walking into the room where he was sitting, all of a sudden I knew that whatever it was I was looking for was real. It was real and it was in the world and you could find it. Ah. So that was a really huge, uh, huge moment. It was a life-changing moment for me. How old were you at that age? Well, by then, let me see. That was, uh, I was probably 21. Okay. And so I got close with Ramdas and spent about a year and a half hanging out with him here. And then I went over to India to meet Maharaja. Oh, how magical. And so to finish the question, so uh, we got to India and we were up in the mountains <clears throat> in a town called Nanital, which is a beautiful, beautiful town around this crater lake, this incredible, beautiful lake, way up at about 7,000 feet, 8,000 feet. And then uh, one night I was walking around the lake. There's a path around the lake. It's a big lake. And I was walking around the lake and I was passing this temple. Uh, it was actually a temple to the goddess Durga. It turned out to be a very ancient, very holy place, very sacred place. I didn't know that at the time. So I was walking by it and I heard this singing coming from inside the temple. And I just stopped. I couldn't move. I, I was paralyzed. I was transfixed. I could not. I just was like, what is this? What is this? And I'm just standing there and this guy walks by me he, on his way into the temple and he says, oh, come with me, you come. And he dragged me into the temple with him. And I sat down there with this bunch of guys who were just wailing, you know, and I went and I just knew this is for me. Wow. I could do this. Mm -hmm. I could, this is, and you know, the feeling was that I really could give myself to this practice. And <clears throat> as you go through your life, you start to notice that one of the things that, one of the qualities that we have is that we really can't give ourselves fully to what we're doing. We can't really immerse ourselves in whatever we're doing, mm -hmm. whatever it is. If we're watching TV, we're eating, we're texting, we're doing other things. If we're gardening, we're thinking about other things. If we're talking to people, we're, there's always a lot going on. You're, you're never like, you know? Yes. And I knew that that was something that had to be developed. And I knew that through chanting, this would, I could do this. This was, this was a way I could find a way to really give myself fully to the moment. And that's, that's, I'm still working on it. It's only 50 years. Give me some time. <laughs> Get some time. <laughs>
As a child, what religion were you raised in, and were you always interested in music and in spirituality? All right, those are three different questions. As a <laughs> child, my parents were uh, Jewish. They were about as Jewish as the Pope. <laughs> as my friend Surya says, you know, I'm Jewish on my parents' side. Hi, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> So really, there was nothing happening for me there. It was just, uh, there was no, there was some, the, the, the family gatherings were all social gatherings, cultural gatherings. They weren't about spiritual things. They were just family stuff. Were they accepting of that religion? Who, were my parents accepting of Judaism? Of, of oh, no, yeah, that, of your new spiritual well, practices. It was the 60s. Oh, so a lot was going on. A lot was going on, and uh, and the less they knew, the better. Okay. Got but it. but in my mother came to India, and my father fully, you know, he was a shrink, so he was very open okay. to things. Cool. So as long as I was okay, they were okay. Right. Uh, basically, it comes down to that. So yeah. Uh, then what was the rest? There were two other parts of the question. Um. Music. Did you, did you grow yeah. up loving music? Yeah, music was very important to me. Still is, obviously. Uh, music saved my life. When I heard the blues, the Delta Blues, Mississippi Delta Blues, when I was like 17, that was all I, that was like a life-saving, that was like, that really saved my life. I really immersed myself in that, in that music. And then, of course, rock and roll really got big you know in the late and mid 60s all the great the big bands started coming around and it was very powerful for me very important uh and of course it's still very important to me but in a very different way so when you met your spiritual leader and you could say guru it's okay i won't kill you what was your first impression of him? Well, first of all, I realized that I really met him when I met Ramdas. That, that thing that I felt in that moment, I recognized a little later, that was him. Mm. And, and after that moment, I was always thinking of him. I and then I would dream of him. And, wow. and all I had seen was one little black and white picture, you know. So, but when I met him for the first time physically, for a moment, I was so confused because for the last year and a half, I'm swimming in him, you know, everywhere I am, he's like the whole, he's like everywhere, I, I'm just floating in him. And then I see this little body wrapped in a blanket and I'm thinking, how does this all get in there? How does this work? You know, I, I don't understand, I, you know, but... It, that kind of released itself, and it was uh, fantastic. So your birth name is Jeffrey Cagle. This is just something I'm personally curious about. And you're, you're lucky I let you live after saying that. Pardon me? <laughs> <laughs> just and kidding. Krishna Das. What made you decide to adopt the name Krishna Das? I, I didn't decide. Maharaja gave me that name. Beautiful. Uh, all the other Westerners had Indian names. This was like a year, year and a half into the whole time in India. 
about a year. And Ramdas had bought this Volkswagen bus from these other Westerners. And we would drive it all around and go places in it. And I was usually driving. So Maharaji one day looked at Ramdas. He said, you're a saint. You, you should not touch money. You shouldn't drive. Give the keys to him. And so Ramdas had to give me the keys. So from that moment on, Maharaji called me driver. And he called me driver for months and months and months. And whenever, driver, come in, driver, go there. You know, it was like that. So I finally said, okay. I wrote in my diary, actually, one night. I said, all right, I give up. I'm never going to get a real name, a real Indian name. He's always going to call me driver. Fine, that's pretty cool. Next day, I get to the temple, and I get called into his room, and he looks at me and he said, Arjun, Nate, Krishna, Nate, Krishna Das, that's your name. I looked at him and said, Krishna Das? <laughs> you know, I'm a Ram guy. I'm a Hanuman guy. What is this Krishna stuff? And he just laughed. He said, he said no, 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 it's okay. Hanuman served Krishna too. It's okay, it's okay. So that's how I got my name. And from that point on, I was uh, Krishna Das. That's amazing. And Das, of course, Das means servant. Oh, okay. And it comes from the lineage of Hanuman. Hanuman is Ram Das, the servant of Ram, servant of God, in the form of Ram. And in the story of the Ramayana, <clears throat> which is the story of all Ram's uh, story here, yeah. how he came to destroy the demon and, and reestablish goodness on earth, Hanuman is accomplishes everything for him. He, he does everything. He's his servant. He's his, and it's all out of love. It's not out of, uh, I don't even know how to say it, but it's all out of loving service. He just wants to do anything that Ram, that has to happen. He wants to do it. So he's known as Ram Das, the servant of Ram. Oh, I love that. Very cool. What was it like to make the jump to living in India or for two years, it, what was that jump like? That because that that's obviously a big decision. You mean from going to, to go, going to the U.S. to India? Yes. Oh, it was like uh, uh, it's like getting out of jail. <laughs> <laughs> but were you in the city? Were you here? In no, New I was on. I lived on Long Island. Oh, but by that time I was all over the place. You know. Okay. I grew up on Long Island, but I after high school I was gone. Okay. You know, I went to Stony Brook for on and off for parts of a few semesters and traveled and everything. Oh, cool. So when I went to India, it was, I was going, I was never coming back. I gave everything away. I sold my car, my guitar. I gave my record collection away, gave my jeans away, everything. I, I, in my mind, I was never coming back to America. Wow. Now, that's one thing I did not tell my parents, but in my... In my mind, I was finished with America, and um, I was never coming back. When you were in India, did you need a form of getting money? Like, how did that work? I brought, I had about a thousand dollars, you know, when I left, but that was gone really fast. Yeah. Uh, something we, we developed something called the Hanuman Fund. Okay. There were some people in the group. Uh, it wasn't really a formal group, but we were all hanging out with Maharaji Westerners. So some people had money and they put it into this fund. And if you needed money to do something, you, you took it. How you didn't you? only what you needed because there was nowhere to go. There was nothing to do. There was nothing to buy, you know, much. This is so, amazing. And Maharaji always fed us. And, okay. and the, 
And we were just taken care of so wonderfully by the Indians. It was ridiculous. It was such a wonderful thing. What a, what a unique experience. This is so cool. Go ahead, Kai. Yeah. So I, leaving America was like finally being able to breathe. Oh, beautiful. You know, that, that's what it felt like for me. Transformation. After two years. Two and, I and a half years. Two and a half years. I apologize. Two and a half years. You're forgiven. I will sing for you in the West. Um, what was your journey to really releasing your first pieces in the West? And how do you hope that, how do you hope that that affects the present day legacy of Maharaji? Well, it's a bit of a long story, but uh, he sent me home in uh, March, 1973. Hmm. And why did he send you home? He looked at me one day and said, you have attachment in America, you have to go, Jow. And I said, but I'm just learning Hindi. Do that, go. <laughs> he was so, smart, it was a gift. And you know, I said, what does he mean I have attachment in India, uh, in America? But now I know exactly what he means because everything that's happened to me from that moment till this moment yes. is what he was talking about. I love it. Every single thing in my life that's manifested because of my whatever's, my desires, my uh, my karma, my you know, everything. This is what he was saying. This all has to come out. This has to manifest. This you have to go through. This you can't avoid it. And of course, you know, uh, in my heart, I knew he was right, even though I didn't want to leave. Were you scared to come back? <clears throat> well, no, actually. Uh, it was, I was kind of like a kid getting being taken to the candy store yeah. with an unlimited budget. <laughs> How fun. So cool. So you came back. That's cool. I came back and I got into so much trouble. <laughs> and then I figured, okay, I'll get as screwed up as I can. I'll get way out on the limb. And then I'll go back and he'll put me back together again. He'll save me. Oh, my goodness. But what happened was I got as screwed up as I could. I got way out on the limb. And then he left the body before I could get back. Oh, no. And that was so horrible that I can't even, there's no way to describe it. Right. I realized that I had really blown it. Oh. I had really blown it. He had given me a chance and I had not taken it. And now I was going to have to live with this for the rest of my life. So I went through quite a long time of very serious depression, real despair. Mm -hmm. And um, after 11 years of that, I was in India and I was staying at the temple with, where I used to live with him, one of them. And uh, Siddhima was there. That's her next to Maharaji. Cool. She's, she's his uh, great, great devotee. Okay. Great, great devotee. And she was there for... Until two years ago, she was there all these years taking care of all of us. And so I was there, that was 84. <clears throat> he died in 73. Wow, he died soon after you came home. Yes, yeah, I mean, six months. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so, so in, in 84, I had a very deep experience, which really saved my life. Good. And then I was able to kind of get out 
begin to get out of that terrible depression. And uh, I began to kind of work on myself a little bit. I went to therapy and trying to release some of the stuff that I was carrying around. And then in 94, I started to sing with people. Uh, and because I had another epiphany that chanting with people was the only thing I could do to save myself, yeah. to clean, clean out the dark corners in my own heart. So I had to do it. If I didn't do it, nothing was going to happen. So I was going to be stuck in this uh, unhappy place. So I, I, I began to sing with people and, you know, things changed. There is the industry, uh, um, there is the industry side of music, and I remember reading that you entered at forty-seven. What was that like entering an industry where people often enter very young? Um, I didn't think anything about music, the music industry. It's not nothing for me. I was just singing with people. I had nothing to do with. I didn't have any CDs at that time. You know, it was just something I had to do—a spiritual practice. And still, even though the, the Grammy and all that nonsense, you know, that has nothing to do with me. I just sing with people and that's it. I'm not part of any industry except the Krishna and support industry. <laughs> How, what is the greatest takeaway from Kirtan and your music in general? Well, first of all, chanting is not a musical experience. You know, if you're sick and you have to take medicine, sometimes the medicine is hidden in a sweet syrup, right? And you, you know, you, and you taste the syrup, you get the sweetness of the syrup, but it's the medicine that cures you. So in chanting, the music is the syrup, but it's the, it's the name, it's what you're chanting that's the medicine. And over time, that medicine, uh, changes you and it frees you of uh, the problems that you're having. It frees you of, uh, of situations where you hurt yourself and others, where you don't know how to be happy, where you don't know how to be with people. It, it changes your whole way of living in the world and changes the whole feeling you have about who you are and, and how to be with people. So uh, the takeaway is that it gives you yourself, you know, it, and it removes, uh, it removes the incorrect way we have of seeing ourselves and the world. And it replaces it with what's real. And that's only something one can experience oneself. And the other, that's the other thing. The other takeaway is that you can do this. There is, there are practices that you can do and that you must do and that nobody can do for you, which can open your heart and give you yourself, your real self. And that, that's, that's the takeaway from, from these practices. What do you think the greatest lesson of Maharaji for you was? Ah. Well, I don't know if it's a lesson, but 
the greatest thing was that I was loved. I am loved, just as I am, uh, with all the bullshit. <laughs> I'm loved as I am, and always will be, and that I could never, I would never be thrown out of his heart because his heart is the whole world. So beautiful. And, yeah. And Maharaj used to say, once I take a hold of your hand, I never let go. Oh even when you let go of mine. What a cool experience. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very blessed. Very, very, very blessed. Very blessed. Yeah. I'm curious, where in India were you based when you, for those two and a half years that you were with Maharaji, Uttar Pradesh? What's that? Uttar Pradesh, yeah. Uttar Pradesh is the, one of the biggest Northern states. And uh, that's mostly where I was with him. Uh, I traveled all around, but most of the time we were in, in UP, as they say. Yeah. UP. Because I was, I was just curious because um, my dad and all of my dad's family is from Punjab and Uttarakhand and uh -huh. Oh, and cool. In a little bit in UP. So. Uh -huh. I've never been to Himachal, but I know it's supposed to be so beautiful up in the mountains. Simula and those places. Yeah. Um, Dharmasala is where the, um, the Dalai Lama lives. Uh, I, I've been in Dharmasala. That, that's Himachal. Yeah, I've been to Dharmasala. Do you yeah. have a center here in New York City? And no, thank God. Oh. <laughs> Did you ever? <laughs> what? Did you ever? No, I never had a center and I... God, by God's grace, I never will. Okay. I don't want to be in the, in the hotel business. Oh, oh gotcha. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, 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 want to, I, I travel to be available for people and with people. Okay. But I don't, uh, once you stop, and you, then you start managing a hotel, and that's not what I want to do. Yes. Kai, who, tell know, who knows, but that's. Kai, tell uh, a little bit how you found him. You discovered him. Ooh. I told you a little bit about this as we were emailing back and forth, but this is a bit of an interesting story. So uh -huh. I, as a little kid, my father is Indian Hindu and my mother is American. She's my but sister. She, uh -huh. um, was very into yoga and meditation. And so it was through her that I ended up discovering your music. I have a lot of clips of me singing Hare Krishna, Hare Rama. That song I was easily obsessed with for a good five years. Like I have a good 500 clips uh -huh. of myself singing <laughs> into door handles as if it was a microphone. Uh -huh. and I, <laughs> I just really fell in love with your music. There's something that made me it had me entranced it something that I really loved and mm -hmm. it still is and then when my grandparents would come from um Punjab over here ah. I would play it for them especially my daddy mama she would she fell in love with it too Sweet. and I let's just say there's not been uh there has not been one of your Thursday live streams I've missed ever ah, that's great that's great Where's the live stream? So, uh, 
Ask him. He knows better than me. I just sit I, here. Where would I find it? <laughs> you can catch it on YouTube on Thursdays at, I believe, 7 p.m. If 7 o'clock, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, and the and his channel, Krishna Das. Krishna Das Music channel, yeah, on YouTube, yeah. So cool. My all-time yeah. favorite. That's really great. There's a funny story about that chant. You know, um, Sting, I knew Sting. And uh, with some friends of mine, we went to his house in Italy. And we did like a, a week-long retreat, and we were chanting together. And So one day I said to him, you know, I'm going to do a new CD, and I need a backup singer. And he just oh. laughed, you know. <laughs> he said, yeah, sure, anytime, just tell me. So by the time I got to the recording, he had left New York and was in London, at his home in London, in England. <clears throat> so I, what I did is I sent him the the tape of the tune, this tune, that Hare Krishna, the mountain Hare Krishna. And he said he would just record some parts and then, you know, I could use what I wanted. So he sent it back and he had recorded like three or four melodies, you know, different melodies. How cool. And we put them all together. So at the end of one of his takes, he says, give me another take. Let me do it again, right? Another one. So, uh, so obviously they did. They gave him another take. So I made a special mix of the song for him only, and I sent it to him. And the song's finished. Everything's done. And at the end, then you hear him say, give me another take. And then in a big, booming voice with a lot of reverb, I say, no. <laughs> Good. What spiritual advice would you give to people watching this? People what? Watching this. Uh, don't watch this. Sing. <laughs> no, after you watch this, sing. Uh, what spiritual advice? You know, the only advice you can give anybody is to trust your own heart. You know, trust in yourself. Trust in your understanding of things. Don't do what somebody says just because they say to do it and you think they know more than you. It has to feel right to you. And if it turns out that it doesn't work, then you learned a lesson. Mm -hmm. You've also trusted your heart again. You know, it's not working. So you try something else. That's the most important thing about the path is to trust yourself. And because even if you get instruction or advice from a, a real guru, it feels right inside. Mm -hmm. And that's why you follow it. So trusting your heart is the most important thing. And it's the whole thing. It's the whole path because our hearts, what's in there is absolute love, absolute beauty, absolute truth, absolute peace. Everything we're looking for out there is already inside. Mm -hmm. And if you don't trust yourself, how are you going to enter into that inner place, right? So it's all the practices we do, even if we think they're to some, something outside of us, that delusion eventually goes away by itself. And you, and you see that everything's inside. So that's, that's all you can do is you don't really give advice to people other than to, you know, if you have choice to make, make it. 
You're so amazing. And thank you so much for joining us. This well, thanks. Time. I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> I'll be tuning in on Thursdays now. Oh, great. Sure. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Yeah. Well, good, to, good to meet you. Yeah. Thanks, for, thanks well, for inviting me. Yes, very fascinating. And, uh, and uh, anytime we can have uh, chapter two, just give me a call. Yay, that sounds good. Part two. I'm in. <laughs> okay. Too. All right, have a great day. Very good. Take Ram care. Ram. Be well. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.